Welcome to Required Reading. This week, uh, we are talking Willa Cather's Death Comes for the Archbishop. We are actually uh, doing this because someone paid for this chair on the auction. Uh, Tom Kerman requested this, though he is not able to join us. I'm your host, Nick Hoffman, and on our panel tonight we have Mike Carroll, Mike Burns, Betsy Holcomb, and I will uh, thank our patron. Uh, but unfortunately, I did not like this book very much. Uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> Though I will give her her due. Uh, this novel first came out in the tw- uh, 20s, 27. It was reprinted by the Modern Library. But since then, it's gotten nothing but success. Uh, it's listed on Life Magazine's top 100 books from 1924 to 1944. It was included on Mike's or on, uh, Time's top 100 English language novels from 1923 to 2005. It's on the Modern Library Association's 100 Best Novels of the 20th Century and the Western Writers Guild's 7th Best Western Novel of All Time. (laughs) But what do we think about it, really? (laughs) And I uh, I will be the first to confess this. I read this uh, because I heard about it first on Welcome to Night Vale as a reference uh, to great American literature, which that's kind of nothing if not the topic of this podcast. And and I tried to listen to the audiobook version of it, and I got so lost, I had to pick up the text because she makes these kind of side tangents, and I get confused mm-hmm. in the audiobook. So I did finish it, but woo boy. Yeah, well, it, it's funny that you say that. I did, uh, I stuck out the audiobook, so I did listen to the, uh, to the audiobook. Um, and it was, I agree, it was difficult to follow the different tangents because really it's a story of tangents um, and the the characters um, kind of making their way through the American Southwest on these different expeditions as they're bringing Catholicism to the Native Americans of that region and it's told very episodically um, but it's not super clear when you're passing from one episode into the next. And so I definitely understand the uh, desire, Nick, that you had to uh, to shut off the audiobook and try and follow along in, in the actual text because uh, I could definitely see myself getting frustrated as I was making my way through the story, not totally able to see where one episode ended and the next one began. Yeah, I agree. I think what's missing for me is, I mean, the writing itself at the sentence level is beautiful in, yes. in many places. But there's really no through line here or no cliffhangers or no tension that, like, drives the plot such as it is forward. This is perfect. This sets me up perfectly. Good. Go. Right as we were hitting record, as we were walking down, every moment up until this moment, I was like, not great. Boring. Could barely got through it. Wait. What if – here's my hot take. (laughs) What if the whole thing is when is death going to come? Like, when when is he actually going to – I don't know. It's a terrible take. Listen, but I will say there are moments, there are a couple moments where, well, how is he going to finally die and where his life is kind of at risk of ending? I don't know. I'm trying to, like, see if I can spin it in a way. That's a very generous. It just ends with him dying. Like, yeah, because you can look and they're like, oh, I got 60 pages <laughs> left. It's so true. He's you know. still not dead. Right. He's still going. He's but still there, going. it's not like he's leading a life of danger and or anything. I mean, he That's is true. on the frontier to a certain well, extent. And at the but... very beginning, there's a sense of danger because he nearly gets murdered sense. in the, yes. the, the murder right. house. Yeah. No, I was just going to say. But or like other how than will that, he survive on food and, right. what will, you know, there's no way to communicate and all of that. But it did not endure the danger or sense of like 
propelling right. me forward and did wanting to turn the page or wanting to keep listening did not right. endure for me. Same. I had it by my bedside, and we <laughs> postponed this podcast multiple times, <laughs> thank God, um, because I just couldn't get through with it. And I'd like to read a couple pages a night, and it wasn't like – it was just not – enticing enough or interesting enough to to hold my interest so yeah. and yeah. i feel bad for saying that but it would jump to the end i mean it would definitely not translate well to students Ooh, no way no i don't think the students would like it yeah um and uh we'll, we'll do our best to get into it a bit um but since it's so disparate know that it's kind of hard to follow it li- uh, linearly uh, we've come across books like that we've even talked about westerns before um hmm. and so this kind of I guess is a more traditional Western. Uh, it might be one of the few books I've ever read that references Sandusky, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> but, you know. Um, and as we were walking down, Nick said, you know, what do you think of this? You know, someone who loves Catholic novels. I I want to even say, I don't even know if it's a Catholic novel. It's a novel where Catholic, there are people in it who are Catholic mm-hmm. and Catholic leaders. But especially coming off of Confederacy of Dunces, I don't see a lot of... Uh, I see much more like uh, emphasis on just like the hierarchy of the church, which is part of being Catholic, but it's missing for me so much of like, you know, so like towards the end, even maybe are we supposed to be excited because he's going to build this big church, right? So he's been, you know, kind of trying to kind of pull together all these kind of uh, far flung parts of whatever exists of a Catholic part, uh, Catholic church in the, the Western part of the United States. And then he tries to build this church, but there's not – we don't get a lot of, like, conversion or, yeah. uh, you know, I'm my life has changed because of a, a sacramental encounter or something like that. Yeah. It's really just about, like, the hierarchy and then a physical church being built. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you use that word conversion because I think that that more so than being a Catholic story necessarily, I do think that it's a story that's about – attempts at conversion um and for that reason it doesn't necessarily need to be catholic in its nature if you were to replace the rosaries with some other religious item or if you were to replace uh the references to mary with some other religious figure i don't think that it changes the story entirely but the the attempts at conversion of these native american people i think that that is the thing that is kind of constant throughout the story. And it doesn't necessarily take an entirely optimistic view of that conversion. I think that more often than not, those conversions fail. So it's interesting to hear you say that because I think that this is almost in some ways more of a failed conversion story than it is mm. a successful conversion story. Um, and, and that notion is not unique just to Catholicism. Uh, I think that that's that in this story, it happens to be Catholicism. But I think that it's more kind of about the the trials and tribulations and in many cases, failures of that conversions that makes this story kind of what it is. Hmm. Well, and I would say that's what makes it a Western. Yeah. Right. Because appropriately enough today, Mike and I did a Western film study. Mm. Um, but, you know, what is a Western? It's the big wide open spaces. And uh, as we were coming down the stairs, Betsy and I were talking about how, in some ways, the Old West is as much of a character as anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, the West is wild. The West is a sense of rugged individualism, self-interest. It's a, it's a man's world, right? This is a very masculine mm. story in that way. 
And, uh, you know, there is not a rule of law. And in mm -hmm. fact, the Old West is a place where the federal government doesn't even have a foothold. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the law of an individual town, the law of the land. And the idea that the, the government or someone would come in and, you know, wrestle the West down and control it in some way is always laughable. It's always, mm -hmm. you know, the industrialist. It's always the person that gets defeated. Well, in this is just different. And that is the Catholic Church that th has the audacity to think it mm -hmm. can tame the West. Mm -hmm. And it fails in that way. And what exists uh, is, are Catholics, but they have almost an aboriginal form of Catholicism. We get a uh, an interesting retelling of the Lady of Our, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Guadalupe yeah. which is you know told in a very Mexican traditional way, which doesn't fit with this Irish you know bishop or you know the guy from Sandusky, Ohio, who has to come down and um, and and in that way, it feels like a very uh, very Western to me, at least. Yeah. That's so interesting talking about like Westerns and a rugged individualism and the contrast between that and kind of the Catholic Church, which you know, there's lots of different ways to define that, but I, uh, in terms to define the Catholic Church, and I think what when you were speaking, what it brought to mind is like, w do we like Father Latour? Like, mm. is he like a, is he someone you'd have a drink with? Is he someone who you would admire and 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 read his writings of this time? I do, I do. Okay. I, I I I was I was kind of drawn to uh, Latour's character, and I think that. Um, there's kind of that dichotomy right between uh, between Latour and Valent, I think uh, mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. the was the other kind of like leading uh, leading religious figure that we that we see throughout the throughout the story. But the I thought that Latour's uh, character was one that was believable, and I think that his character, at least for me, spoke to kind of like a realism. Uh, in his attempted conversions that I found not necessarily even endearing because I, I don't think that that's necessarily the right word, but uh, a um, kind of like a reality in that character that, that I certainly was drawn to. And I, and I do think, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, and you guys might, might feel differently, but I, I, I did like Latour, and I think that we're designed, we're supposed to like, supposed to like Latour very Dissimilarly from when we were reading Confederacy Dunces, which I know that we we were talking quite a bit about uh, about Ignatius, but um, being a likable character or not. But what what did you guys think? What was your take? Yeah, on the I, I like both the priests, and I and I will say like they were inspired by people that um, Cather or Cather. I'm not sure what the I've heard both pronunciations um, met. It it seems to me it's Catholic in its way that it's sort of a study in faith. And these guys meet young in France, and they decide I'm just going to go west, and mm. Lord knows what's going to happen. And, and they just sort of have these sort of mini adventures, or not really adventures, yeah. but just what keeps them going, and why would they keep doing this when clearly it's not an easy life in many ways. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated that, but it's like it's like um, Bert, we were talking about drinking before, not that we. But it's like <laughs> bourbon. Like you have to like develop an appreciation for it. I yeah. don't feel like I've developed an appreciation for this. Mm. And not to slight the novel, but maybe it's on uh, maybe it's on me that it's very slow in a way that you sort of sip or dip into. But it doesn't really call me to keep coming back. And mm -hmm. so yeah, the lady of uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, I thought was the best part. Uh, and that's sort of a story that she co-opted um, there. But just to, the spin on that, I thought was fascinating. But um, other than that, I don't know what else to say, to be honest. <laughs> a series of goings-on. Yeah. I mean, well, it's... I mean, in Latour, I, I just – he seems in some ways a practical character and a very modest one at that. Like, you know, mm -hmm. he – 
plants this garden because he believes that it can help the Mexican people and he wants to bring the medicine. And he's someone who creates a diocese and a cathedral and looks very modestly on what he's done. I, like, you know, it makes sense. He's, he's a good character in a Catholic novel. Um, but it really does feel like a series of goings on. Um, and I, I'll, I'll call my English friends here. Well, my literature friends here. This is 1927. This is two years after Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Like, where does this fit into the yeah. literature at the time? Because to me, this feels very different than other Lost Cause era, not Lost Cause, um, Lost Generation era stuff, right? It, it, it feels very, because those books are often about interaction, about lack of, I mean, feeling separate from society. These people are separate from society, but this doesn't feel like Hemingway. This doesn't feel like Fitzgerald. Um, well, and, and I'll, I'll kind of pick up that baton there, Nick. I've got a quote, And, and from, from what it is that we're doing in class right now, it feels a little bit more, um, I'm making my way in American lit right now into realism and naturalism and modernism. And in some ways, it feels a little bit more with a toe dipping into that than even postmodernism or feeling along the lines of Gatsby. Mike, you were talking about this notion of kind of like going west and uh, the the kind of going on aspect of that might be a little bit reminiscent of Gatsby and that kind of like striving for the American dream, but uh, that might be a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> but the what, what I was talking about before with kind of that realism and that, um, that kind of that bluntness and that uh, futility that goes along with these failed conversions. I think that there is an aspect of that cynicism that's so wrapped up in modernism and postmodernism that I definitely see in the characters and in the kind of the the plot and the failed conversions of the story. Hmm. Uh, I'm just I'm reading from my book has an excerpt from Cather and the last paragraph is talking about why she wrote the novel Hmm. and she says I'm amused that so many of the reviews of this book begin with the statement this book is hard to classify (laughs) (laughs) then why bother Uh, many more assert vehemently that is not a novel myself I prefer to call it a narrative in this case I think the term is more appropriate but a novel it seems to me is a mere work of imagination in which a writer tries to present the experiences and emotions of a group of people by the light of his home uh, that is what it really does, whether or not uh, this method is objective or subjective. Hmm. So I don't know what that means, but even she doesn't know what <laughs> yeah. it is. So yeah. I think it sort of fits in that time period, and maybe it's experimental in what a yeah. novel is in the form itself, or she's stretching the boundaries that way. Um, I don't know. Well, it's in the public domain now, so you can make a pun about it. You, right. You can make a funny version. Right. Um, Has there ever been a film of this? I don't know. No, I, mean, I saw a, a not... part of a documentary hoping to get excited about right. the novel or maybe yeah. maybe I <laughs> unlock something I wasn't seeing at first. And and I do think she so she she's writing from her experience. She grows up uh, early on in her life. She's in, you know, the East Coast and then they are kind of, you know, she's like elementary school, they go west. And so she ha- this is her life experience of, you know, kind of seeing this life of of, of being um, in that part of the country. So I think uh, I can't speak about literature, so I didn't mean to cut you off if you were going to comment no, on it, but I think um, it is, you know, to capture a, a slice in time in the history of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that this would be the thing I would turn to if, uh, to capture that, like the text that I would use. But I don't know. Now I'm thinking, are there certain scenes that you could kind of pull out as a you would a short story and show the scene with, uh, uh, oh, 
who's this great priest who actually really liked Father Martinez, uh, who, you know, um, is this Catholic priest, although he's a very different Catholic priest than, than Father Latour and then is acceptable, really. He has this whole monologue about how it's important for priests to have families and um, you know that's very it scandalizes Latour and um, and then we it cuts to Martinez at mass and the people are like hanging on his every Love word him, yeah. and so you know is that is that Martinez bringing them away from a faith that is authentically Catholicism yeah, even to say authentically Catholicism is like a loaded phrase um, but I I don't know do you think Cather and here I am co-opting it back into talking about it being Catholic novel, but you know it's hard for me to to leave it. I, I guess I'm just curious what your thoughts were on on um, both the fact that it's where it's taking place, but also kind of its complicated um, expressions of the Catholic faith, because there are some there's some diversity in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was I was just laughing. I love the fact that you were you were uh, so endeared by Martinez because he's such like a like a over the top almost like revolutionary boundary pusher when it comes to Catholicism and uh, I think that that there's quite a bit of that in this story and I I think that it doesn't show a romanticized right. version of Catholicism by any stretch of the imagination I think that it's more of a kind of like a, a, a more realistic I think yeah. version of, of that conversion story well and I mean we'll, we'll get into this I guess as we kind of go through it but <laughs> I, I, if we ever get through it, who knows? <laughs> um, but I mean, she's also poking fun at the fact that, like, what do you expect from a Catholic priest? Um, and you know, you have. I'm glad you said Valent because I was calling him Valiant every time I read yeah. it. I'm like, no, that's not right. It looks like <laughs> it, right? But he's kind of the Epicurean. He likes, you know, much, he likes, yeah. you know, wine, and he likes good food, and he's, you know. He's, you know, what is his, uh, the rest in uh, action, you know, the kind of, he's he's got this casualness to them as opposed to you have um, uh, Latour who's working himself to the bone and he doesn't think it could ever be enough. Meanwhile, Martinez is the charismatic one that the people love and he has several children, right? He's got that yeah, going for yeah. him. Um, but, you know, what do you want when you pick a priest? You know, I the pastor at my church is a fine homilist, but he's clearly good at the bureaucracy and keeping running an actual church. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've had in the past, God, I remember his name, Ed Thine. I, I thought he was interesting because he always talked heavy theology, but him trying to like, you know, sloughing it for kids. Mm -hmm. Now he couldn't relate to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the trick. Who do you want to run your diocese? Mm -hmm. You're in the middle of nowhere. And I, I, the, the scene where the Vatican wants to know why he's spending so much money in, like, Denver, to me, is just, it's such a tickle. Because today they could call him up. But the idea of sending someone across the yeah. ocean, across the country to figure it out is just, anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I, I... And, and to say, I mean, to, to bring up, a couple people have mentioned kind of the appreciation of, of wine and good food. But at the same time, like, we're in this place where they're just happy to have, like, beans and rice and water like right. there's a whole even reference to that right like 
they're 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 not getting sherry and brandy. They're they're just trying to to stay alive. And so I think um, that's really fascinating in capturing the the danger of this time. And and really to, to build on that too, one of my favorite scenes is when they uh, are trying to find shelter and they find this home in the yeah. middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I I'm pretty sure the guy's name is Buck Sales. They meet this guy first, and he's like, "Sure, you can come stay with me." And they go inside the house, and they meet this woman who kind of is like in the shadows. And she, after he's away from them, Buck Sales is away from them, this woman, Magdalena, kind of gestures to them, get out. And they do. And she escapes too they help me they Eventually, escape yeah. And, yeah. and and then they help her i mean in some ways i'm you know magdalena we're sympathetic towards her we're glad she's you know she gets to live this free life book sales doesn't you know they, they the priests have helped her right so that's really great and that, that there's no benefit to them so there's some real virtue in that um to help this woman who's uh, the book sales we learn is abusive and is mm-hmm. just a horrible kind of man and um, a murderer right and yeah. A murderer, yeah right so they've literally escaped death, right? right. Um, early on, <laughs> I was like, "Will this be it?" No, no. There's a hundred pages way left. Way <laughs> longer to go, Betsy. <laughs> wow! In chapter two, they introduce a new priest. Hold on, could a, it a be, new bishop? Could could this be a good TV show? Could HBO make something out of this? Well, no, but also, <laughs> well, but I mean, but. I will say it reminds me more of a. This is me talking pretentious now. I apologize. But of, of a post-war French or Italian film where it's more like a slice of life. The story doesn't really have a beginning or an end. It just kind of yeah. is part of the story. Right. Um, you know, and you're talking, you know, things like the the bicycle thieves or something. Like, there's conflict, but it's not like tomorrow. It's, a diff- it's just another day where they have to deal with something yeah. similar. And, you know... Um, I like there's almost celebrity cameos, too. Like, Kit Carson shows up, yeah. and the Pope shows up, and you're just yeah. like, are we going to stick with Kit Carson? Well, for a bit, and then he's <laughs> going to move on. And it it, it it does feel like you're just part of someone else's story, and it floats through, and other people take control of the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, if you were watching this as a movie or as a miniseries on, you know, this this says HBO, you're right, mm-hmm. uh, or, or uh, PBS, mm-hmm. um, it's almost as though each episode would also be narrated by someone else, because... Uh. You know, they wander into a story, but it's no longer their story, mm-hmm. and then the tour yeah. kind of moves on. Very much like Canterbury Tales or something, as you're saying that. Huh. But um, and what you said earlier, Nick, made me think back to the Sparrow because that was mm-hmm. the only other mm-hmm. novel we've read as a group here with priests mm-hmm. and the different types of priests and sort of humanizing them mm-hmm. and reflecting. You know, that was insightful and in, and in what sort of they go through and the sacrifices they make for their faith or for serving the church. So I think there's value in that. But just to build on what you're saying, it feels to me like slow TV, like you know, whatever is it Norway or Sweden where they just like film the front of a train for eight hours and yeah, it just yeah. has its sort of own intoxicating <laughs> weird you know beauty by being the opposite of what everything else is. So maybe that's the appeal here, and so I could see you know the the grand vistas of the West being attractive. And she right. does have some really nice passages describing um, the surroundings, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, as far as that, like, dramatic tension or cliffhangers, like I've said before, like, that we're all used to and trained up for because of TV and whatever, it, it's missing that, and mm-hmm. which was what makes it 
challenging, I think. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting that you brought up the Sparrow because I kept thinking about the Sparrow throughout because of this notion of a failed conversion and the Sparrow is another, though, kind of science fiction and fantasy and on another planet. It's still another story of a failed conversion and you see the way that that affects very differently. Granted, there are drastically different situations that are transpiring, but both stories end up being an attempt at conversion um, and uh, on the frontier too, right? right? Different, yeah, yeah, very much so on a on a dangerous frontier. Um, and in both instances, they end up failing with that conversion. And the way that those that affects the priests that are involved is, uh, in many ways, um, it's drastically different in terms of the 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 story and the plot and what it is that ends up taking place. Um, with these different stories, but the, I think that that failed conversion is a similar thread that runs through both of them. And I found my, found myself thinking back to I can't remember the name of the uh, the priest from uh, from the sparrow, but the that that story I kept thinking back to the the interplanetary travel and the, and the story of the sparrow as I was making my way through it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I guess what I'm struggling with in comparing the two novels is. I, why didn't I like this one? Yeah. Why didn't I like, what, I mean, I guess we've already said a lot, but I, yeah, it's, you know, being a Catholic, you know, it's interesting that you can find Catholics in, you know, around the world, right? You can, you travel to Spain, you travel to Nevada, you travel to Canada, you can find a Catholic church in it. You know, there's a there's a through line. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be slight differences, but there's like you can kind of there's a consistency there. Um, what makes you know these two different Catholic novels um, uh, so different? I I that's interesting. I'm I guess I don't know. Do we get a lot of interiority? Maybe that's maybe that's a thing I'm missing too. Mm-hmm. Is the Sparrow has priests where we get a lot of like. Mm. their interior reflections and kind of like, or like, God, the big, in the Sparrow, the big um, conversion moment um, of the main character, whose name I'm trying to look up now, but now I can't find. Um, the, uh, it, you know, we get this conversion moment for him, um, but do we, do we, oh, Emilio Sandoz, but do we get, is, yeah. but do we get that same kind of interiority? We get it a little bit in the garden. We get it, um, I don't know his uh, father Latour. He's he is a nice guy. He's likable. Is he someone I want to uh, hear it, re- read his journals? Do I want to read? Maybe uh, maybe I'm forgetting those parts where he was very humanized for us. But I that seems to me like one of the differences is is the interiority, the like the passion too. God, Emilio Sanders is so passionate. Yeah. To, to a point that it, it causes him, he's got to, like, intentionally stop being in love with, romantically in love with people yeah, because right. he's he's so, so it's drawing him to relationships that he believes are wrong. And so, you know, Latour, I don't know. Do we get that same kind of passion? Well, I, I think that it's, it's lacking, but we do still get some of that interior. Mm. We, we do still get some of that consciousness of the character. But I think that, I think that, that, made me think of why it is that I wasn't as fond of this story as I was of the Sparrow. And I think for me, it's the narration. I think for me, it's that narrative structure where, Nick, as you're saying, we are only kind of getting this like sliver of uh, kind of like a very um, 
ordinary world if that if the if if such a thing exists in the world of literature we get kind of this like very realist ordinary story and so i, I am going to take a stab here at kind of marching us through the the plot a yes, little please. bit oh, just please. so that we can <laughs> save just, us well no one I, wants to I, do it but you i think i think that it. it'll it kind of lends itself towards my explanation as to why why i think the sparrow was a little bit more of an intriguing story yep. than uh than Death comes for the Archbishop. So we, we start off with uh, Bishop Ferrand, who is an Irish bishop, and he's being charged with uh, the the task of finding a new Archbishop for this New Mexico uh, region. And uh, Latour's name comes up, if not only to, uh, as somebody who was part of you guys might have to help me out here, but part of a relation where uh, there was a borrowed El Greco painting oh, that, yeah. that he needed to <laughs> get back. So, so like, the name comes up kind of in this, like, totally, like, place way of being like, well, I want to get my painting back. So, like, clearly he's a name that I can throw forward in this. And they're like, oh, yeah, Frenchmen tend to be pretty good at this type of thing. So why don't we send him out there? Thus launching Latour and Valent into this quest out west where they're going to be converting Native Americans in the New Mexico region and they kind of go on these different episodes until they die and that's kind of the, the, the that is kind of the point fair, right? yeah. and, and so we get Father Martinez who we who we alluded to already who is a non-celibate kind of like revolutionary who threatens Latour and says if you continue yeah. to if you continue to come down this hard on me you're not going to live much longer yet another moment where we're like oh death is coming for the archbishop here it comes <laughs> we get father lucero who is the miserly uh the miserly priest who thinks who doesn't want the candles blown out because even on his deathbed he's afraid that somebody is going to come and like steal the wealth of uh th- that he has accumulated uh, and then it's it's told that he had like something like twenty thousand dollars that yeah. were like that were underneath his floorboard mm-hmm. so you get kind of like the the miserly father uh lucero you get um the the what one of the moments that that I was intrigued by was the I think her name was Seda, uh, who was in Santa Fe, mm-hmm. I believe it was Santa Fe, uh, and and um, Father Latour was out walking during the night and. And, and near near the the church and she was like trying to like break into the church and she had not worshipped inside of the church in 19 years mm. and Father Latour brings her into the church and she starts weeping inside this church because it's such a moving uh, a, such a moving moment and that was a moment where I was really endeared by Father Latour mm-hmm. because it was a moment where he was very at, at least in the narration of what was what was taking place in the story he was really kind of um open about his crisis yeah his his crisis of faith his doubt and this uh, this woman who was so moved by the by essentially the work that he was doing there in santa fe um ends up worshiping with him in the middle of the night for the first time in 19 years and that 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 for me was a really powerful moment but uh but these these kind of episodes kind of continue along we get the the friendship that continues along between valent and latour um and then they both die. Um, before the before Latour dies, he does have. I think it's Bernard is the name of the the other either like scribe or priest who he's retelling a lot of a lot of his stories of conversion of the region uh, before he dies. And Bernard is is jotting them down. We get uh, some of the um, some of Father Latour's 
feelings about the the Navajo and the um, the the Trail of Tears, I think, was the was kind of the the specific kind of illusion that was being made there. Um, and 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 then Father Latour and Father Valent die. Um, and and death at last does come for the archbishop. But the I, I think that ultimately that and I, I know that kind of very briefly there we just marched our way through the the plot of the story, but the episodic nature there where you're kind of going in and in a very realistic and cynical, I think you could say. Cynical is interesting. Uh, depiction of this conversion, you're seeing failed conversion after failed conversion, and then the priests just kind of die. And I think that that while, while there's also a failed conversion in the sparrow, I think that the that notion of cynicism and the kind of realistic nature of this snapshot of ordinary life that we're getting here, Nick, that you're yeah. that you're talking about, I think that that's part of the reason why I wasn't quite as drawn to it. So there you go. That's a little bit of a plot synopsis and a little bit about why it is well that, that I wasn't quite as drawn to it. That's interesting. I mean, I guess it, it's funny. Maybe if we, what if we, what if, okay, I'm going to do another, take a, <laughs> see if I can here we get go, there. Betsy. Here we go. What if, okay, it's a, it's a, there's lots of landscapes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What if, what if we think about it in terms of like the landscape of like a timeline of belief or faith or just what it's like to be human and, and be drawn towards a, a, a faith life in community. And, you know, aren't there references in the book to like they like the so there's Native American influences and there's like but then there isn't there like more ancient stuff before that that's also influencing what's up. Like I'm thinking about a landscape of time that, yes, death comes for the archbishop, but it doesn't end. But like this, the the desire to mm. have the church grow still continues and existed well, you know, long before it. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the El Greco painting because I was like, well, this is Chekhov's gun. Yeah, here we go. Oh, right. This is it, <laughs> and it's not. It's <laughs> it gets mentioned, yeah. and so it, it does come back, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's not Chekhov's gun in terms of being like a big plot point. Like I right. expected, it just gets kind of mentioned and like discover or meant, uh, fits into the narrative, and then. And then, and then they just move past it. And so I, I guess I'm wondering if, if we could take this metaphor of landscape as a visual metaphor for time. And kind of the, we get, we get, we, we enter into this narrative in one place and we end another place, but it will, it existed long before us reading this novel and existed long after, will exist long after. Yeah. Geologic but, time. Yeah. yeah. W wouldn't you still say, though, that that is, that it's kind of cynical in that, in mm. that uh, interpretation of it? I mean, there's, there's a couple of moments, like, for instance, they, they talk about this, um, this supernatural, like, snake that mm -hmm. they are worshiping in the, in the New Mexico, like, um, the, I, I can't remember which which uh, group of Native Americans it was Hopi, specifically maybe. that were yeah that 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 were worshiping this supernatural snake and there's a lot that goes into kind of like almost borderline um, like polytheistic yeah. kind of beliefs that are that are still 
looming over this story, despite the fact that we have this Catholic conversion that supposedly is taking place. Mm-hmm. When when Father Latour ends up coming back to Santa Fe, he makes it a point to want to come into Santa Fe at sun, I can't remember if it was sunrise or sunset now, but he wants to come back at the exact same time because that's how it is that he entered into the city, mm-hmm. which literarily from my perspective we there that means that there hasn't really been any change that mm. that he's coming into this situation and he and he and we we haven't had much change so i wonder betsy if with your with your reading if that makes it even a little bit more cynical that we're kind of like we we get this snapshot of this ordinary life from uh, th- that's a very modernism take on the story, and I know I keep coming back to this ordinary snapshot, but I think I, I wonder if that's kind of a, a, a very cynical way of, and I'm not saying cynical necessarily in a bad way because that's that's how I kind of take the story, mm-hmm. um, but I I do see some aspects of that that cynicism that's that's present there. I wonder about the cynicism that I didn't take it that way at all, but I wonder. Is the death like the death of Jesus, for example? He dies, and then all the stuff comes after. Like, yeah. and so this is this modern in that sense that she's leaving it unresolved, and like, what what comes next? I don't know. I mean, where does this fit in, Betsy, as a theology teacher? Do people reference this? Do they use this? Could you use this? Certainly not the high school level, but and you didn't like it, but. <laughs> <laughs> Could you use Is there this? value? There, is there what's the value? as a I, Catholic? Before we started recording, I, I asked if y'all had seen The Young Pope. Yeah. In some ways, especially in the interrelationships between high, uh, you know, priests and, and, and religious in the church, there's, there's a, uh, you know, HBO makes it kind of this gorgeous, you know, they're walking in these gorgeous gardens. And we get that in the very beginning opening scene. So I guess if you're really into kind of knowing how priests, how different kinds of priest personalities are, you know, in, in that sense, there's even like a tie into like Evelyn Waugh's Brideshead Revisited, where, you know, Evelyn Waugh's doing this beautiful thing of kind of capturing these little or these different personalities of what it's like to be Catholic. I just, they, I, 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 could I use it? I could pull a couple of scenes that I thought were kind of, a little dramatic and what's going to happen and oh this character's fascinating and uh but i i just as as a as a full story i just i can't okay. i can't see and I, I just can't think of another catholic novel that's really like it i mean i can really try to stretch it but it, it doesn't but I'm, I'm also not into westerns if this is a western i'm not i'm not getting the whole beauty of the tumbleweeds you know and the you know i don't know it's 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 um i will say it's interesting to me that and i'm sympathetic towards latour for not being having like a fundamentalist faith so mm. he's not really i don't see him as like a fundamentalist no, christian not. no very practical um, yeah. and and I, practical right the the beauty of kind of allowing martinez to be you know against doing things that are against the catholic church because he knows he's so beloved and mm. he knows he can't just come in, you know, and, and, and revolutionize this area of Catholicism. And he does make a lot of or he does make some changes that are hard and do cause controversy. Right. Isn't there at one point like Martinez has his one church and then this other, there's like two churches oh, that have schism, formed, yeah. you know. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I, there's something there. Um, I don't know. Would, it, would, would we read it differently if we were in? 
the west and near santa fe well i mean okay i don't know no i mean there's two two specifically religious things we can talk about there, there are miracles that happen that he tries to explain or at least interacts with, right? There's the, the hidden water and the animals that come out and the, mm-hmm. the crack in the rocks or in the, the tree uh, is in a crucifix tree, right? It's in the cruciform tree. And, you know, he says, you know, a, a miracle is something that cannot be or is rationally inexplicable, right? Like that's the notion. And we get these hints of that among the, in, you know, the, the Mexicans, the indigenous people, there are these miracles on the landscape that he is trying to wrap his mind around. Um, and we get this conflict between the old world where religion happened and the new world where it's struggling to, to get a grasp. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where he's stuck between, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. The, the Vatican wants these explanations, wants these statues that cry, wants these miracle points. And here there's this kind of naturalism to them. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is kind of the anchor to the whole story. And the place where that comes most in contact with him is a story you mentioned earlier that we should touch back on is the story with Seda or Sada, mm-hmm. uh, who's this woman who was essentially enslaved for 19 years, which is why she doesn't go to church, specifically by some Protestants. And her getting to go back into the church happens, of course, I, I, I can see why this would be an English professor's favorite book because they're these very subtle things. Yeah. It's in winter, and so we're in the season of Christmas, which is in the season when Jesus is born, which allows him to rebirth his faith. Like, that's the kind of thing that y- you would find this one person who spent their whole life writing about Willa Cather, and they love that kind of a fact. But to me, it still does feel like, you know, it, the landscape would help. It, I, I was very critical earlier of you saying, could this be filmed? I think if this was filmed on a grand landscape, it would help mm-hmm. because it does make it then seem what he's doing is more impressive, mm-hmm. impressive among the vastness of the wide open West, yep. among this nothingness. Right. You know, and well, so, uh, please. And, yeah, and there's there's a couple of other tie-ins where the almost wasteland of the landscape does play a role here if you mm-hmm. think about his obsession with starting a garden and how often that's mentioned and in this barren landscape it's very difficult to have a garden growing and to be able to have that lettuce and those tomatoes and they keep coming back to it how great it would be to have this garden and it's very difficult for that garden to grab roots just like this conversion is very difficult for for it to grab its roots similarly in the story that's portrayed of the the Guadalupe we get the the um, the roses that are that are growing guess what it's unlikely that they're growing during the winter season right. because that's that's a time period when roses wouldn't otherwise be growing and that's part of the miracle of of what it is that convinces this person that this is indeed the the virgin mary that is speaking to me when these beautiful roses are growing in this december barren landscape so once again you see those those flowers that are able to to uh to grow in this otherwise barren landscape and then taking that that story uh the the guadalupe story one one step further it's as a result of that that the Virgin Mary convinces the the, 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 the church to be built, right? Mm-hmm. And we get the entire story that's centering around the cathedral in Santa Fe being built, and that is Latour's grand work that he's mm-hmm. trying to build. And the towards the end, we get the moment where he brings Valent out, and he's like, what are we doing out here in the wilderness? And he, he has found the cornerstone upon mm-hmm. which he's going to build the church. Mm-hmm. And that cathedral, it, it's kind of like what it is that he's building towards this entire time. That's kind of like the emblem. It's the monolith of his uh, of his success in that region and it's only mentioned 
like after he's died for like like four sentences at the very end of the story and it mm-hmm. seems as though this is once again th- this is where where you guys might disagree with me but i see some pessimism in that that mm-hmm. we're not focusing on the success that he had it's all these kind of mini episodes of of failed conversion instead that we're looking at and to your point i'm sure again it was some english professor's favorite metaphor of the growing of the crops like he's trying to grow his diocese but <laughs> if i recall the in book 9 when he gets sick Mm-hmm. He loses the ability to speak any other language than French, mm-hmm. and his cathedral is also designed by a French architect. Mm-hmm. Even though it blends into the landscape, he's going to be an outsider. He dies yeah. being an outsider. He doesn't mm-hmm. speak the language of the people, and the cathedral is still made by a foreigner. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I disagree. I think yeah. maybe I'm not as pessimistic about the ending because it's like he sacrificed himself, and this will live on after him. To your point about time, the long stretch of time, he's this little blip here, yeah. but he's making an impact and it's going to live beyond him. I don't know. Am I See, stretching there? To talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I'm starting to like it more. Listening. Yeah. Yeah. So, there are moments, yeah. Okay, I will say, I don't know how many guests you have come on here or how often when you read a book, you're like, all right, this makes me want to read this other book. But it does remind me, and I mentioned Evelyn Waugh earlier. I don't know if you've read Brideshead. That could be on this list. Really great. Really fascinating. Maybe not as, definitely not as funny, but a really short little novella and also by Evelyn Waugh, also including priests, also including a journey, the loved one. Okay. Don't know the it. Loved one. Yeah. The loved one. Very good. Laugh out loud, funny. If you read it out loud, I think, um, kind of a, an epic journey. So I think, should yeah, who would people who would read this novel? Who would love it? Who, who can you think of someone who would just like, oh my death? You gotta read Death Comes for the Archbishop. <laughs> who would who would love it? I almost said something very mean. <laughs> I, I, did, I, will, I will refrain from saying something very mean. I, I mean, I will say I get it. Uh, a lot of Westerns I've read would fit right into this. Like, And the literary style is not my cup of tea. Um, and again, clearly it's for someone because so many of the accolades I listed at the beginning are in, impressive accolades. Um, but I feel like, you know... Um, for those of you out there struggling to get a grasp on it like we are, um, I, I watch a lot of film, too. You know, this reminds me of something like Tree of Life, where mm-hmm. when a child dies, they pan all the way back to the Big Bang and the dinosaurs because in some ways it's a universal story, mm-hmm. but it's also very personal to this person. And that's kind of what this is. I, I think more than a Catholic story or anything, it's trying to get at some very fundamental human mm-hmm. questions. What can we do for other people? Mm-hmm. What do we? What can we do for ourselves? And at the same time, how do we bring what we want to bring to the table? Mm-hmm. Um, I think at times she's very successful at that. It's just, it's not a narrative like we've ever done before. So I think that's difficult. That's the difficult part. Um, I almost wish that there was some more conflict, but then it wouldn't be the same story. I'm always cautious of making a writer write something they didn't write. You know, I wish you'd written a different book is not a good criticism. Um, Unlike other Westerns we've done where there's a conflict at the beginning and it goes all the way to the end, this more is telling someone's life. You know, it's it's like a lot of those stories. Uh, it's very Dickensian. It's very, um, or you know, if you're talking film, Berlin, Berlin Alexanderplatz. Like, there's a chunk that we see. We don't get all of it. We can't get all of it. And at the end, the person has to die. You know, <laughs> it's in the title. Um, we did the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford today. Spoiler, he gets assassinated. <laughs> the movie John dies at the end. He dies at the end. We just have to figure out whether or not his life had a purpose. That's that's what the book's about. Ooh, so. 
Whether or not his life had purpose. Yeah, I think that the more, and this conversation has kind of led me here, but I think that it does fit within the parameters of a story that is told within its landscape and within its region. I think that it, for me, reads successfully as a story that is a sliver of a time period in which this very kind of nuanced reality of Catholic conversion in New Mexico is very real. I think that it takes that reality and it places it inside of its accurate landscape. And for that reason, I do think that it's a story that is kind of telling of that region. Uh, it, it seems to me that, that that that's kind of where it is that it fits for me, is that it's a story that is um, kind, of, kind of more, it's impossible to separate this story from its region and from its landscape. I think that they're intrinsically wound with one another. Um, and and so if you were doing a, a, if you were teaching a course based off of the literature of the Southwest or, uh, or conversion stories of the Southwest, I think that it could fit within a curriculum. Um, I don't, I would not want to take that class, but I do think that it would fit within that <laughs> curriculum. And I think that it does for that reason, have its place among, among its kind of regional brethren, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Is there other, again, I'll plead ignorance here. Is there other books of this region or time such as this? I mean, is that what makes it special? It's unique in its niche that way that you're sort of referring to? I don't know. And in talking about classes, like in all my education and other colleagues, I've never seen this on a syllabus. I mean, it would be interesting. For good or bad. No, I mean, it just, I think my question earlier is what triggered this in my head, but like, to do a comprehensive study of like the, the teens through the 30s, I think this would be an interesting counterpoint to a lot of the books that would come up mm-hmm. because it, it does feel like postmodern in some ways. It, it feels very nonlinear, which again is reflected uh, in nine, like 30 years later in film. But, you know, again, comparing this to Fitzgerald or Hemingway or I mean, hell, even like Agatha Christie, like stories coming around. It's just so different from everything else. I, maybe it just caught on because it spurned, uh, spawned a whole literary genre after it. And sometimes the first book in a genre just doesn't resonate except for those people who it inspires, you know, like a good music album. Or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I was like in going to Santa Fe, road trip to Santa Fe, stopping at the cathedral. Y'all, the history of this cathedral is in Santa Fe is like enormously similar. Oh, it's it's, oh, it's yeah. incredible, yeah. Okay. Like some turquoise. You know. I mean, it's like it's Father Jean Baptiste Lamy, yeah. eighteen fourteen to eighteen eighty eight, um, installed the first bishop of the diocese of Santa Fe in eighteen fifty. Um, the cornerstone of the current cathedral was laid in eighteen sixty nine. Archbishop in eighteen seventy five. I mean, it's just like, I mean, sorry, did I miss that? That that was like the, this isn't like a going back and explaining the origin of the. It's not. It's fiction, right? I mean, fiction, yeah. But yeah. she was inspired fiction. by yeah. the people she met and the stories mm-hmm. she heard from her travels out west. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, like maybe I to to. I, I guess I also love like looking at an object. Like if I go like thrifting or something and look, mm-hmm. and I like think like, oh my gosh, like who 
has influenced this, right? So I guess that's kind of cool, like if you're just curious about... Right, and that's my point of the more optimistic, less cynical reading of it. Like there's there's a legacy here and there's a story behind all this that it's still enduring Mm -hmm. in in this great span of time, in this great wide open space that is the West. And I do I do think that the the writing deserves a little bit of credit. I yes. mean th- there are there are passages that are breathtakingly mm-hmm. beautiful about the landscape and about the the cathedral and and the the kind of the, the world and and Santa Fe itself. I actually through the Breadloaf School of English, which is where I got my master's degree, I actually spent a couple of summers out in Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. And I've been to the cathedral and it's, it's stepping inside. I mean it's it's beautiful and i think that maybe that's maybe it's kind of like calling back to some of those memories of sunsets that i had while i was there that that i was particularly taken aback by just how beautiful some of the language was in the in the novel um but i i did i did find myself in moments kind of like stopping and kind of like taking it in being like wow that's 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 really descriptive and and a beautiful take on a really unique landscape. And I think maybe that's what's at the heart of my wanting to read this as a story of the region, um, because I, I do think that it kind of fits within that. Um, I guess I'll just wrap up here because I already gave my two cents. Uh, since this is in the public domain now, I'd be interested to see how people do it. Um, there was a movie not long ago called Loving Vincent, which the whole thing was painted, hand-painted in an animated movie mm. in his style. Um, I think this would be an interesting watercolor painting comic book or something mm-hmm. like because the landscapes are well described and it, it would provide a vastness to this that I think is lacking. Pair it with George O'Keefe or something like something that. Something like, yeah. that. Just, like that. Just just something vivid because, yeah. um, I mean, and again, I know it's not necessarily a visual media. It's a book. You're supposed to imagine it for yourself. But I think that's what, what it brings. It brings an interesting view of the West. No, but that speaks so perfectly to my original... I'll use the word criticism, though I, I think that that's a little bit too harsh of a word, but I, I wasn't fond of the narration and the episodic yeah. nature and, and the narrative style of the work. And I think that what it is that you're talking about is all of those different changes and possible adaptations is all changing the narration, which was yeah. the one thing that was kind of the sticking point from the beginning that I just, yeah. I couldn't really like latch my anchor into. Yeah. Uh, a good Western doesn't need a lot of words. It's it's visual story. So yeah. I'm with you. Um, but we, we're, we're out of time. Um, I appreciate for those of you who are listening uh, that you stuck it out with us. I know a lot of you try to read with us, so that's great. And uh, Next time it's a much more intense book, but uh, it is Beloved uh, by Toni Morrison. Uh, she is a, well, for those of you who don't know, American author from Ohio, um, but she wrote Song of Solomon, Bluest Eyes, and uh, Beloved, and she won the Nobel Prize around there. You don't usually get a Nobel Prize for literature for a specific book, but that was, I think, the book published closest to her nomination. Right. So it was probably the thing that pushed her over the edge. Um, and uh, we've done this before, but one of our panelists will be a student. So we'll nice. get to hear their interpretation of it as well. Cool. Um, but that will round out um, Black History Month. Uh, which I know is on the nose, and we do black authors the whole time, uh, all year, but I thought it would be appropriate to make sure we had an African-American author at the time. Uh, So thanks for doing all you do. Thanks for sharing, supporting us. What's the Insta? Yep, michael.c.carol. So thank you for everybody that's been so supportive, and, uh, yeah, follow along for some more about my publishing journey. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. (laughs) 
The Required Reading is a product of Bears Podcasting and Good Letter Podcasting. It's hosted by Nick Hoffman and co-hosted by Mike Burns and Mike Carroll. It is edited and produced by Nick Hoffman. The theme is Sands by Davis Burns. The opinions expressed are opinions of the hosts and the guests, but not of Marist School. All rights reserved. Thanks.